Last week, I was speaking about Catholic statistics in Canada based on a recent voluntary survey. Well, this week, the 2013 Vatican statistics were released. There are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. The number of priests has grown, but not the number of religious women. But what's good for me to hear is that the number of permanent deacons is on the rise, particularly in Europe and in the United States, where the numbers have increased by 40% in the past decade. 40%! That's great! In 2001, there were 29,000 permanent deacons worldwide. Today, there are 41,000. And I am particularly surprised to hear that the increase was more so in Europe. That number has increased from 9,000 to 14,000 in the last 10 years. In the Americas, on the other hand, the number grew from 19,000 in 2001 to more than 26,000 in 2011. That's significant because Europe and the Americas have 97% of the deacons of the world. So I hope that this trend continues. I hope that through the witness of deacons like myself, we can encourage other men to consider a vocation to the permanent diaconate. And in fact, if you're thinking about it, why don't you contact me? I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I have to tell you that for the last three weeks, we've been giving away a new CD every week. We started promoting this through Facebook, but we've had to move this weekly draw to our webpage, saltandlighttv.org radio. So if you'd like to enter our weekly draw, you have to go to saltandlighttv.org radio. Scroll down a bit and look on the right side for where it says, stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. All you need to do is enter your name and your email address, and every Saturday we will draw a name. This weekend, we're giving away a copy of Matt Mars. All the people said amen. And congratulations to our previous winners, Cecilia Madden, who won a copy of Curtis Stevens' Amid Passing Things, Patrick Beherrick, who won a copy of Pasquale Talarico's My Everything, and Maureen LaMarche, who won a copy of the Benedictine Sisters' new album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus. Maureen, if you're listening, contact us so that you can get your prize. Check our webpage every week to see if you've won, and we'll also be announcing the winners every week on this program. Today we return with our usual features, and our parenting expert Jillian Cantor returns to tell us what she learned from her kids this week. That's going to be in about 15 minutes, and in our second half hour, we celebrate a hundred years of Catholic charities in the Archdiocese of Toronto, and we will have a featured chat with singer-songwriter Amanda Vernon. She has a new album coming out on May 31st, Interior Gaze. So here she is with a song, 76, from that same album.
Amanda Vernon with 76 from her new album Interior Gaze. We'll be chatting with Amanda in our second half hour and in five minutes, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. But first, here is Chris with our news. Starting with pro-life news, Pedro, whenever a pro-life march is held, organizers always try to get prominent civic or religious leaders to join in the march. Well, the March for Life in Rome got the Pope. Organizers of the march say 30,000 participants took part. It's only the third year that it's been held, which surprised me that this has only been going on there for yeah, three years. Yeah, me too, me too. Uh, the two-mile route went from the Colosseum to Castel Sant'Angelo. Castel Sant'Angelo is uh, the big circular building just down the street from St. Peter's Square. 
So many participants joined the Pope for the recitation of the Regina Celi at noon from uh, his window overlooking St. Peter's Square. But afterwards, the Pope got in the Popemobile and drove down Via della Conciliazione towards Castel Sant'Angelo and met up with the martyrs. Uh, Pedro, it's been uh, an important two weeks in the pro-life movement internationally. So first there was this march that involved the Pope and his endorsement. There was also a March for Life in Canada. That was uh, about two weeks ago. And the notorious uh, late-term abortionist Kermit Gosnell being sentenced to life in prison. Right. Now turning to Syria, both sides of the civil war there have received their share of blame for the conflict from church leaders but one prominent cleric is blaming the West. Ignatius Joseph III Yunnan is the Syriac Catholic Patriarch, one of the Eastern Rites of the Church. He says that the war is a result of Western nations strategizing to split Syria and other countries in the Middle East, so to foster division. He told Catholic News Service that Western nations bear responsibility for what is happening in Syria for not heeding the warnings of church leaders that the violence that was brewing would escalate into a civil war. Not enough was done to try to stop it from happening. Religious leaders have been cautious not to appear to take sides, though many fear that if the government is overthrown, they will no longer be protected, just as what happened after revolutions in Egypt and Iraq, the Christians became very vulnerable. A number of Christians have been kidnapped for ransom in Syria already, and on April, to, April the 22nd, two Orthodox bishops were kidnapped and their driver, who was a deacon, was killed as they traveled to negotiate the release of two kidnapped priests. They were going to release someone else and they were captured. And they're reportedly being held by a rebel faction. And finally, Pedro, uh, developments out of Israel and the Palestinian territories that affect the church. If you've spent time in Bethlehem, you've probably had a wine called Cremason. Have you had that wine, Pedro? No, no, I just drank the Thai Bay beer. The, the Thai Bay beer, that's right. Yes. Well, uh, Cremason is probably the best-known Palestinian wine. Well, it might actually be the only Palestinian wine. It's the only one I know of. And But not everybody knows that it's produced by Salesians. The head winemaker is an Italian monk who lives at the monastery on the vineyard. And the Salesian properties also include a convent for nuns and a school. The land resides on the outskirts of Bethlehem, near some Israeli settlements, and therein lies the problem. The Israeli government wants to extend its separation barrier, the wall, through the Salesian property. They say it's necessary to protect the settlements, but it will mean that the school will be enclosed on three different sides of the wall. So the wall will go right up and around the school, and it will even mean that the men's and women's Salesian communities will be on opposite sides of the wall. The access to either side will be controlled by a security gate. The Salesians are considering taking the case to the Israeli High Court. It's been in the courts for years, going back to the uh, early 2000s, and so it could be a few more years before this is ultimately resolved. Thank you very much, Chris. Chris Dimitrenko, our Salt and Light Hour news producer. If you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, remember we'd love to hear from you. Send us your comments via Facebook at facebook.com slash slradio1. Hi, I'm Sheridan, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Visit us there. 
and stay connected with us for a chance to win weekly music prizes. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew... I don't qualify for the winning no, the music prize. You're a, yeah, I, know, I know, you work here. Oh, exactly. That's but that's okay, you can still sign up. How are you keeping? I'm good, I'm good. Did you like our good. Facebook page yet? Yeah. Did I, I ask you that last uh, week? I don't know. I don't I think have you to look at my Facebook page. account. Yeah, seriously. You know, you you know I like Salt and Light Radio. Yeah. Last week we spoke about St. Apollonia, remember? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you still have your wisdom teeth. I spoke teeth, about my, uh, my whole wisdom teeth saga. Yes. But anyways, this week we're going to look at St. Christopher Magallanes. Okay, so yes. For he's... Our, uh, no, sounds a little bit Greek, but uh, St. Christopher well, Magallanes. No, Magallanes, if you're from Latin America, it's a Spanish oh. name. Yeah. Um, so Christopher Magallanes Yara was born in 1869 in the Archdiocese of Guadalajara. So if you don't know where Guadalajara is, it is it's dead in smack Mexico. in the middle of Mexico. His parents were poor farmers and devout Catholics. He grew up on a farm. Uh, young Christopher worked as a shepherd, but really, um, Deacon, he felt called to look after sheep. Very interesting. He called to look after very, sheep. Very Christian. Um, yeah, so um, Deacon, at the age of 19, he entered the seminary and was ordained a priest at the age of 30. Um, he taught school in Guadalajara for a time until um, he returned back to his home village, uh, Totatich. I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing this properly, uh, to minister as a parish priest for two decades. There he opened a carpentry business, and that provided jobs for local men in the village and helped to plan and construct a dam that would help people in the, in the, in the local area. Father Magallanes was most interested in bringing the Catholic faith to those who had not heard the good news of Jesus, um, in this case, um, many people in the region. During this time in Mexico's history, um, we know about this very well, the government feared the power of the Catholic Church. Um, we know the story very well, and it tried to eliminate the practice of faith. A constitution even banned the training of priests mm -hmm. in Mexico, and the seminary where young Christopher had studied uh, for the priesthood was closed and it was turned into a museum. In 1915, Father Magallanes opened his own small seminary in Totatich and soon had more than a dozen students. The government did not look kindly on this kind of behavior and um, really it accused the priest of trying to incite rebellion, even though Father Magallanes preached against violence of any kind. He was on his way to celebrate Mass when he was arrested. Without a trial, without proper evidence, he was convicted. He gave away his few possessions to his jailers, those, were, uh, those people who were around him, and on May 21st, 1927, he and 21 other priests and a few lay Catholics were executed. We know that his last words to his executioners were, I die innocent and ask God that my blood may serve to unite my Mexican brethren. So he was one of the many saints that was canonized by Pope John Paul II that mm -hmm. happened in the Jubilee year of 2000. His feast day is Tuesday, May the 21st. And um, for our movie watchers, um, you will know that in the movie For Greater Glory, Father Magallanes is portrayed by actor Peter O'Toole. Absolutely, yes. Um, good movie. In fact, we, we uh, spoke with the producer-director of that movie, Pablo Barroso, it's here uh, in Salt and Lauer. Cristiana. Yeah, Cristiana, uh, uh, last year. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good movie, very moving story about the history, Mexican right? martyrs. Yeah. Um, so, St. Cristobal Magallanes, Christopher Magallanes, feast day, May 23rd. Uh, 21st. Sorry, May 21st. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Thank you, Deacon. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, this is Matt Marr. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. 
I'm Deacon Pedro. You can also find me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and also on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... What Our Kids Teach Us with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Hello, how are you? Good, good, good. So what did you learn from your kids this week? Uh, well, this is a fresh lesson just learned yesterday. Uh, we took our oldest son to his first ever soccer practice. Oh, he's playing soccer. How yeah. cool. Well, he's, he's running around. <laughs> they, swar- they run around and swarm the ball. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and so, yeah, Joseph is just... Um, it's, in that, it's a lesson I've had to learn a few times, but I was reminded of this lesson about uh, doing things even when we don't feel like it. <laughs> oh, he, um, he started out this soccer practice. It's an hour, and he's four, and so oh, I thought this is going to be long, time. but their teachers are very eager and keen and, and really good with kids. So he was running around and having a great time and grinning ear to ear the whole time until they started this game. The coaches explained it beforehand that uh, you're going you're gonna to run and kick the ball, a bunch of little kicks, Everyone, every kid has a ball, and the coaches are going to try to come and steal the ball away from you, and you have to trap it. You have to stop it, stop us from getting the ball. Uh-huh. Um, and so then all the kids, the coaches said, "Go get a ball." And so all the kids get up and run for the ball to start this game, except for Joseph, who <laughs> remains seated on the sideline. And I'm staring at him, willing oh. him, "Come on, participate!" And I hear him say to one of the coaches. I don't really feel like it, <laughs> and oh my gosh, I was horrified. I was just, what did he say? He doesn't feel like it? So now I can kind of understand in his four-year-old brain what was happening. He has to share whether he likes it or not with his brother all day long, and yeah. often the toy he's playing with gets taken away from him by someone else. So this game, as it was explained to him, what, you want me to run with this ball and you're going to try to take it from me? No, thank you. So I can kind of, I could see that, his wheels turning, thinking, this is a ridiculous game and I am not participating in it. But still, just hearing that, um, I don't feel like it. He was like nailed on a chalkboard to me and I was uh, was trying to think of how can we explain this to him later. Like, you have to participate, you have to respect authority and your coaches and listen to what they say. But then also, hmm, how often have I used those words myself? I don't really feel like it. What? God, you want me to do that? Mm-hmm. Now? I don't really feel like it. Um, and it also reminds me of something that my dad told me one time, and I don't even remember when or what context it was in, but I remember the message, and it was, do what you want, or sorry, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it, and do it well. Mm. Um, and that's something that it stuck with me, and it's helped me to in moments of when I have the least desire to do something, to realize, well, I've got to do it. It's got to get done. It just helps me to settle down, to buckle down, to buckle down and tackle the hard stuff, um, because usually that's where you're going to um, get the biggest reward or bear the most fruit or feel the, like you really accomplish something is when you do that thing that you don't want to do. Um, so it's a, it's a lesson, I think, for... Yeah, for all of us, for my son in soccer, for me in my my work with my kids, or just whatever it is. The thing that you least want to do, that's the part that you need to do, <laughs> even if you don't feel like it. Absolutely, it. especially if you don't feel like it. I like I like that because it's a it's a it's a faith lesson, but it's also just a very practical lesson yeah. <laughs> as well. Um, and at least he was polite about it. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I don't feel I like don't really feel like I don't it. really feel like doing that right now. Um, that's great. That's great. Um, so uh, fast forward, 
he's four, so fast forward 13 years from now, my, my, my boys are still playing soccer. Mm-hmm. So and 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 now they're it's really competitive, <laughs> <laughs> and they really feel like it. They and really they feel really like feel winning in particular. Well, no, not when the coach decides that they have Saturday morning practice at eight in the morning, and they spend <laughs> the first hour of the practice running. Oh, nice. they go for a run. So if he's in great shape, but no, I, I don't feel like running at eight in the morning, <laughs> especially with the weather we've been having. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it would be a good time for you to start participating. Maybe it'll be a good time for me to give him your grandfather's advice. Do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it and, and do, it, do well. it well. And and do the dishes. <laughs> okay, I hear somebody behind you there, so yes, I'm right. going to let you go. Thank you very much, Jillian. Thank um, you. Great lesson. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace, and she's also a wife and mother of three. Hi, I'm Danny Tortia from Media Ministry Minutes, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Listen to uninterrupted Catholic music on Salt and Light Radio at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Christian music like never before. Check out that website to find out how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile device. And stay connected for a chance to win weekly music prizes. Here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Well, hello, my friends. In the Diocese of Omaha, Nebraska, did you know that May is Foster Care Awareness Month? Yes. Nearly 4,000 children are in foster care, and if you've ever thought about potentially fostering someone or just making a huge difference in your community, this is a great opportunity to provide a caring home to children in need. To find out more on how you can become a foster parent, call Boys Town Foster Family Services at 402-498-3018. So that's 402-498-3018. And along those lines, I'd also highly recommend that you check out Sponsoring a Child through Caritas for Children, and you can find out more at caritas.us. Now, have you ever had any trouble explaining uh, what we believe as Catholics to your friends and family? Oh, never, never, never happens. (laughs) I never have to explain anything. Everybody gets it. Well, then you should check out the Archdiocese of Edmonton series called Simply What Catholics Believe. This series touches upon the cornerstones of our beliefs as Catholics and is part of the Archdiocese of Edmonton's program of events for the Year of Faith. So if you're interested in participating, the next one in the series is on Wednesday, June the 5th, uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. The session is called From Here to Eternity, and Father David Norman will present, and that'll be at the Pastoral Center. But the cool thing about this is that you can also webcast the series so you don't have to actually live in Edmonton to participate. So you can find out more at caedm.ca. Again, that's caedm.ca. And from what I can tell, almost every diocese across the, the country has a special program for the, for the Year of Faith. And you can check that out at your local diocesan webpage and to see what's going on in your neck of the woods. And World Youth Day is fast approaching from July the 23rd to the 28th, so check out wydcentral.org for everything and anything to do with World Youth Day, especially if you're not attending, as we'll bring you as much as we can when we're down there, so keep checking back with us to see what's going on. And that's wydcentral.org. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's a lot of great resources on that website, especially if you want to remember things from previous World Youth Days. Lots of archive material there. And I'm intrigued about this whole foster family thing. I think that maybe, I know we spoke specifically about the Diocese of Omaha, but I mean, there are fostering programs everywhere. And a lot of, I think a lot of families or, or, or parents 
they they think about it but they're hesitant because mm-hmm. they're not sure where there's lots of resources lots yeah. of great uh, uh they provide ongoing training 24 7 assistance absolutely and 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 you can even have a whole parish community uh, uh uh supporting a family as they foster one child um so don't be afraid and if you're a foster parent um contact us with your experiences because maybe we can share some of those experiences with other people to encourage them so thank you very much sheridan that's a that's a really good uh that's really good advice actually so coming up in our second half hour catholic charities celebrate a hundred years in the archdiocese of toronto and we meet singer songwriter amanda vernon so don't go anywhere Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Have you ever thought what our nation would look like if there were no Catholic charities? In fact, if it wasn't for the Catholic Church, there probably wouldn't be many agencies that serve the poor and needy in our cities. In the largest diocese of Canada, the Archdiocese of Toronto, all Catholic charity agencies are coordinated under one umbrella. This organization began in 1913 a hundred years ago. And to tell us how that works and what they are doing to celebrate, we're now joined by Michael Fullen, Executive Director of Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of Toronto. Michael, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks very much, Deacon Pedro. Good to be here. So for those people who maybe uh, are thinking that what I just explained sounds confusing, how, how does it work? How, do, how does Catholic Charities work here in Toronto? Well, in Toronto, and just to, to clarify, it's even larger than Toronto. It's the Archdiocese of Toronto, yeah. so it encompasses a great large area of southern Ontario. Yeah. And in those areas, we have a number of social service agencies uh, serving families, uh, people with developmental disabilities, the elderly, mm-hmm. uh, people who are deaf, whatever the need might be, children in need. Mm-hmm. And our agencies are open to anybody in the community that is in need, that comes to our front doors and presents for service. But in terms of the way they're organized under... So those are the individual agencies. Those are the individual agencies that come under the umbrella of Catholic Charities. And we have 27 of those member agencies spread throughout the Archdiocese of Toronto. So here at Catholic Charities, our office, Uh we are responsible for the... uh, uh, the identification of what the most pressing needs are in the community, and then trying to set up structures and systems to be able to respond to them. And that's how the 27 agencies came into existence. Um, and we oversee the work of the agencies. Uh, okay. We provide the funding to the agencies in, in the majority of cases using the Share Life uh, dollars. And Share Life mm-hmm. is the arm of the Archdiocese that raises the funds, uh, gives them to us to distribute to the agencies. Okay. And we hold the agencies accountable for the provision of good quality services uh, in the Catholic tradition. 
Okay, so for people who are listening in the Toronto area, I'm sure yep. that they've heard of Share Life. Yes. Because everybody hears about Share Life, but not a lot of people have heard about Catholic Charities. So can you explain? So other than Share Life, you said is the funding branch or agency yep. of the Archdiocese of Toronto. So they raise the funds. They raise the funds. We spend the funds. And a lot of that money goes, uh, at least the money that goes for the charities, goes through you guys. Absolutely. Then down to the 26 agencies. Twenty. That's 27 agencies. 27, sorry. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay, so um, they're Catholic agencies. Does that? What does it mean that they're Catholic? Does that mean that they're all run by the church? Well, it means that they all come under the auspices of the church and the Archbishop of Toronto. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but to be a Catholic agency means that we serve anyone in the world, in this case in the Archdiocese of Toronto, who is in need, in spite of what their faith background may be or their social economic status. We're open to, to everyone who is in need that comes to our door. So, But they're not uh, preaching necessarily, or you don't have to... No, uh, not, not so much. We think you know, we're not out... Uh, Prophetizing in that sense, but we think by our example of, uh, of serving, showing love for, for neighbor, our brother and sister, that in fact we are uh, demonstrating very clearly what it means to be Catholic in this world today. What, what is the benefit for these 27 agencies to all come under the one umbrella of Catholic charities? Well, I think being under the same umbrella gives us an opportunity to come around the table, which we do on a monthly basis with the executive directors, and three or four times a year with the board members of all of these autonomous Catholic agencies, Mm -hmm. uh, to share experiences, to share what's working, what isn't working, to keep us strong. And you see this spirit. Some of these agencies are very, very small, and others are very large organizations. But we see a give and take at the table where often the smaller agencies can be helping the larger agencies. Right. It goes without saying. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the larger ones have many more resources that can help the smaller ones in many uh-huh. ways, but it works both ways. And if you were to ask me, how is it that you can bring such diverse organizations together around that table every month, and how does it work? I tell you, after as many years as I've been here, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but I think the Holy Spirit has something to do with it. I, I'm really serious when I say that Absolutely. because it's a wonderful gift that we have and that being able to help one another I think what happens and we're not all just sitting around gazing going isn't this wonderful we anticipate what the big problems are coming down the, uh, the mm-hmm. pipe whether it be reduction in government funding and we talk a lot about what can we do together to ensure that we can continue to provide services not so much to preserve the structures that exist mm-hmm. that isn't what's so important but the needs of the people the poor, right. and they continue to increase. We have to be present there, so we have to find ways to continue to be present there. And we think we offer, I never say that we're better than anyone else in the secular world, what we do, but we certainly do come at it from a unique perspective, and together we're very strong and effective. Mm-hmm. So Now, a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. so it was Archbishop Neil McNeil. Yes. What I mean, there were Catholic agencies that already existed. And yes, I'm sure, there like were. the Sisters of Saint Joseph were doing, you know, their their ministry. So, what was the what was the reason why Archbishop McNeil decided to sort of bring them all under one umbrella? Yeah, it's it's a funny story when you read some of the history uh, and just some of those agencies that were around over a hundred years ago, where the Catholic Children's Aid Society, St. Mary's Infant Homes that we know as Rosalie Hall today, yeah. St. Elizabeth Healthcare, which were known as the visiting nurses then, uh-huh. Providence uh, Healthcare, and the focus was on the most vulnerable at that time. Yeah. But Father, our Archbishop McNeil thought 
there are so many agencies and everybody's knocking at his door and needing money. I need somebody here to coordinate uh, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the social ministry response of the church here in the archdiocese. So he brought in Father uh, Patrick Bench yep. from Rochester, New York. But I, I, I chuckle at that because there were only, I guess, six of them at that time. And I guess they were, uh, you know, they, they needed some organizing and some somebody to oversee their work. So it's interesting when we look at the 27 today and just how much more complex the problems are today. Oh, no, that's great. That's great. So, yeah. so, so I guess one of, the, one of the reasons was so that the agencies weren't competing against it, each other. That's, that's it exactly. That's mm. it exactly. You know? Yeah. Now, so a hundred years for someone like me seems like a long time. For me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's a great year. What what are you doing to celebrate? Well, some very exciting uh, uh, things. Uh, so, for example, last Thursday we had a gala dinner attended by over 250 people, uh, made up of representatives from our agencies, but also our past people that have served as volunteers on our boards of directors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had uh, Father Tom Rosica yes. from Salt and Light uh, yes, Media yeah. be present and speak to us about uh, Vatican II 50 years later the year of evangelization, and how both of these tie into the work of Catholic Charities over the 100 years. Mm-hmm. So, very exciting evening. We also have four of the Catholic school boards in the Archdiocese uh, present, and these young people are have approached us with a project they call Doors of Hope. Uh-huh. And they are literally taking doors, wooden doors like we have in our houses, and are painting on them and interpreting the ministry of Catholic Charities through many of our agencies. And i got to tell you, I've seen a few of these doors, and they are absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I think to hear from our young people, this is so exciting, as they manifest the faith and take it out. And now here's the beauty. We've talked a lot of this archdiocese. We have a pastoral plan that is talking about involving our youth and evangelization. These young people have been invited to participate in Nuit Blanche this fall. Nuit Blanche, White Night is a festival that happens in Toronto. I, I've never gone because I'm always in bed. It goes <laughs> yes, from yes, it's an uh, dusk until dawn the next day. Yes. And they have been invited to come into the marketplace and display these doors. That's great. There are going to be over 100 doors. And I'm thinking, wow, to get into the marketplace and have this dialogue with the world, kind of an art festival, mm-hmm. talking about our faith, I'm thinking... These young people are really setting a direction and a path for us and setting a great opportunity for us to talk and to evangelize. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we're doing. They had approached us and we said, sure, let's partner. So they were at our dinner last Thursday evening as yeah. well, not with a hundred doors, just with a <laughs> yes. half a dozen, you yeah. know, but, uh, but good stuff. So the dinner, uh, we also are putting some, uh, money into special projects uh, with some of our agencies encouraging a spirit of collaboration to come with us, come to us with projects that help to build up community and new ways to show that we're working together to meet need. Um, we will also in the fall mm-hmm. be um, having a big uh, celebration down in St. Paul's Basilica and inviting yeah, the whole yeah. general community uh, to celebrate with us uh, 100 years. Um, and there will be Mass at St. Paul's with the Cardinal as well. And one other thing that we have is that we sponsored the uh, television Mass that goes across Canada on the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul, Uh who is the patron of Catholic Charities as well, on September 27th. Just to let people know that we're out here, help is available, and we know there are a lot of people that are shut in that watch that Mass every day. I mean, my late mom used to as well. And uh, so I think that's just 
reaching out to people that much more. So those are just some of the things yeah, that we're doing. Absolutely. And the business as usual is carrying on as well. That yeah, doesn't of course, stop. Of course. And you're doing great, great work. And as you mentioned, I mean, there's, there's services for children, for youth, for families, people with special needs, yep. seniors, young parents. The, everything's there. And, and you know what, Michael? A hundred years from now, you'll still be going. So maybe not that's, you. But. That's what I, I'm hoping. I, I think that the, the church will still be relevant in the world a hundred years from now. I was asked to do a story and to say, what will it look like a hundred years from now? And I start off by saying, well, you know, our faith teaches us we don't go to a fortune teller or read the stars to figure out what that would be. But you know that a lot of the things that we do today are the things that were being done a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. The poor were amongst us, maybe in different shapes and forms. But it was for us to discern what that need was and to respond. And I don't think that's going to change. Amen. And, yep. and as you said, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So thank you, Michael, for sharing a little bit of what you do with us today. And, and, and I guess happy anniversary. Thank you very much, Deacon Pedro. Michael Fullen is the Executive Director of Catholic Charities of Toronto. They are celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. You can find out more about them and what they do and who the member agencies are at Catholic Charities Tor, T-O-R, Dot .org we're going to put that link on our website so you can find it easily and here now is our featured artist of the week Amanda Vernon with cleaning and scrubbing from her new album Interior Gaze Cleaning and scrubbing can wait till tomorrow Babies grow up we to our sorrow So quiet down cobwebs and dust Go to sleep I'm rocking my baby And babies don't keep Hallelujah Angels sing Hallelujah While she sleeps Hallelujah Now I see Can't wait to tomorrow Babies grow up We've learned to our sorrow So quiet down Schedule and phone Go to sleep I'm rocking my baby And babies don't keep Hallelujah Angels sing Hallelujah While she sleeps
was Amanda Vernon with Cleaning and Scrubbing from her new album, Interior Gaze. In 2008, I was at the, at the Eucharistic Congress in Quebec City with some free time, so I went to check out the music tent. And I met a lovely young woman, Amanda Vernon. And no, not only was she lovely, but she was also very talented. And today, Amanda Vernon is a recording artist, she's a singer, she's a pianist, she's a composer in a genre of music that she describes as soulful pop music. When she was 15 years old, she recorded her first album, thus beginning her ministry and her career. And Amanda is just putting the finishing touches on her fifth and latest album, Interior Gaze. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Amanda Vernon. Amanda, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, thank you, Nikki Pedro. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to hear your voice again. I know it's been a long time. Um, <laughs> two thousand and I know I was thinking two thousand and that was a long time ago. But look at you now. So okay, so um, let's let's back up even f- before two thousand and eight because I I understand that you grew up in a musical home. You obviously were learning music. Um, was it a Catholic home? Yes. Yeah. Both of my parents are Catholic, and they raised me in the states, and they always taught me that all good gifts are from God, including the gift of song, which which I showed a, a liking to at a young age. So they taught me that my music needs to go hand in hand with my faith at all times. So, and when you were a teenager or, or, an, or a young adult, you never went through a period of, 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 of leaving church or doubting or anything like that? I would say during my teenage years, I, I wouldn't say I had no doubts, but I didn't I didn't stray from the faith in a sense of leaving church or or separating myself from my community because I just had so much joy being part of the community and you know as I as I was growing up and exploring how does this faith actually impact me on a personal level mm-hmm. I always I always loved having the surrounding arms of a Catholic community you know, to, right. to surround me on that journey. Right. So tell me about this this first album when you were 15 years old. <laughs> sure. I released an album called Shine Through Me when uh-huh. I was 15. There was, a, there was a deacon at our at our church who was the director of youth ministry, and he knew that I was writing songs because, okay, so I'm dating myself. This is 10 years ago, okay? I, we had cassette tapes that I would make, and I'd give them to my friends, and they would play them even when I wasn't there. So That's great. So he figured that there was something to this since they were listening to them in their spare time sort of thing. And so he said, you know, we have this little budget for the youth ministry. Amanda, would you like to use this to make a CD? And that was just the start of what has blossomed into a career and really a ministry that I've been able to share around the world. So it's all thanks to a deacon. See, I, I knew it. I knew it. it's, it's all deacons. Deacons deacons are, are the one. So wait, okay, so you said you were dating yourself, but you can't be dating yourself that much because if you were 15 in 2003, right? Right. So yeah. in 2008, when I met you at the Eucharistic Congress, 
you were still 19? Yeah, 20? so I was 18, 19. 18, Yeah, I wow. think I was just, uh, I think I was 18 that summer. But you were already, so. so it was the summer when I was 19, that's right. But, but okay, so hold on a second, because so one, two, three, in 2008, <laughs> oh, you already no. had four albums. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell us about that. How does that happen? Well, I was, in, in addition to being raised in a very Catholic faithful home, I was homeschooled also. Uh-huh. I mean, you can just picture this, right? I'm the oldest of seven. My family has that big oh, van where they, you know, all of, all of us around together sort of thing. And, and uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. I could play with my brothers and sisters or study or I could write music. So that's, I, I wrote a lot of music. And, uh, but I, I mean, I say this kind of jokingly, but it's really true that that extra time was such a blessing because I was able to spend moments of silence each day of looking inside and saying, you know, what are, what's on my heart and what am I called to do and what are the gifts that I feel passionate about. And it was through that, that um, opportunity to, I think, be homeschooled that mm-hmm. I was then able to spend, you know, those years of putting um, my musical talent to work in in recording projects yeah and i guess i mean i guess with the support of your parents because recording i mean it's not like you had a recording studio in your basement did you <laughs> no no we didn't but actually uh, from a financial standpoint because you're thinking you know as a parent how did how does yeah. that work you know i have this little child who wants to be a recording artist okay honey well it was such a gift that the parish financially backed my first project so that i was able to just from the cd sales right take that money and put it back into another really? recording project. So it just it went along like that. So it just keeps funding itself. All thanks to that deacon. It all goes back <laughs> to the deacon. deacon. deacon Ken. <laughs> so, so then you, yeah, God bless the deacons. Um, so <laughs> so you, you said that you had all this time to every day to look inside, and that, that sounds uh, awfully like the title of your new album, Into Your Gaze. And I know that that's a phrase taken from uh, JP2's Theology of the Body, um, mm-hmm. It sounds like that's just a phrase that means a lot to you. What? what, what mm-hmm. Why does that phrase inspire you? Sure, I think you're right. You can say that interior gaze speaks of prayer, really, of looking inside. But when I first heard those words together, it was in the theology of the body from John Paul II. Mm-hmm. He was speaking of the moment when Adam and Eve first met in the mm-hmm. Garden of Eden. Now, this is before the fall, before they had, you know, shame. Kind of in front of their eyes, but they were able to see each other and see the exterior that they mm-hmm. see on the outside as a sign of who they are deep inside of, of that mystery of creation in each of them. Mm-hmm. And that phrase just just resonated with me, and I thought that's the way that that I want people to look at me. That's the way I want to be able to look at others. And so that idea has really been the driving force behind my songwriting in the last few years. So, okay, so let me clarify. So it's not an interior gaze at yourself, but rather seeing through people's exteriors into their interior? Is that what it means? I think it's both. And, and that's you know, such a Catholic answer, right? It's both and. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's the way that I see myself, but then it's also the way that I can turn to my neighbor and, and or, or say my husband. I can look at him and see, you know, the goodness of who he is, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I look at, really at his body, and, and I can see not only just a body, just his eyes and his lips and his skin, but really who he 
is at the core of his being. So how does that phrase then inspired you, or, or maybe it didn't, but uh, what's the connection with the album? Is are, are all the songs inspired by that particular idea, or what's the connection? I would say that idea does, it, it weaves in and out through all the lyrics of my new album, and of course the, the title of the album is Interior Days, and there's a song with that title as yep. well. But it's really a standard, and it's a standard that... I, I aim for, and and it's the way that I measure are my relationships going well, because when we have an interior gaze, then we have a peacefulness, mm-hmm. and when someone else looks at me with that interior gaze, I, I'm able to be confident knowing that they really see me, they're not just judging or objectifying, but but appreciating who I am, and so every song that I write, even if it's just some kind of... Um, upbeat sort of pop tune. Mm-hmm. It, it, the references is is this living up to that piece of the interior gazing? If it's not, then there's something of sadness in it that is crying out to be at that place. Right, right. Now you've had almost a new album every year or every other year. Um, this is your 2013 album. What's what's new? Are you working already working on on something else? <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> Actually, you, you know, uh, as an artist, I probably am, right? So I'm about, I'm re- just on the doorstep of releasing this interior gaze, and I do have a lot of new, even newer songs, though, kind of waiting to go. But I'm really praying, Deacon Pedro, about the direction that we should take, because I have a liturgical music ministry, and then I have now some pop music that that is a complement to that. Mm-hmm. And I just am waiting to see what doors got open. Should I release a CD that's all liturgical music. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe with a publisher, because I'm an independent artist right now. Yeah. Or um, there's also the option of, of releasing something in Spanish. So I, right. I guess I'm just kind of waiting to see, to take God's lead for that next step. Yeah, that's right. We should mention that you do you do sing in Spanish as well. So we have um, Spanish listeners. You, you would They would appreciate uh, some of the stuff that you have in Spanish. Um, so I know that you're going to be sort of busy in the summer or in the next com- couple months. You have... Catholic Fest in Bailey's Harbor, Wisconsin, Life Fest in Oshkosh, also in Wisconsin, Exclaim in Toledo, Ohio, and you're going to be at NCYC in Indianapolis, and I know a lot of our listeners are also hoping to be at NCYC. So look Amanda up. She's busy. She's good. We've already heard two of your songs, and we're going to play another one, so uh, I hope that people are enjoying what they're listening. I I love what you're doing, and it's great to connect with you again. Uh, Keep doing it. I look forward to to the next album. And, uh, and I look forward to staying in touch now that we've reconnected, Amanda. So keep doing what you're doing. Okay, thanks so much. God bless. Amanda Vernon's new album, Interior Gaze, is scheduled to drop on May 31st. If you're in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, be sure to go to her CD release concert on that day. And you can find out more about that and about Amanda and all her music at amandavernon.com. And we are actually going to be giving a copy away of Interior Gaze um, so visit our website, uh, saltonlighttv.org slash radio, and stay connected so you can uh, have a chance to win that album. And here now from her new album, Interior Gaze, is Amanda Vernon with her song, In Real Life. On a plastic screen More than my name and my biography 
Sometimes it breaks, sometimes it bleeds But I'd rather let it break than tuck it away I'm gonna let you see it and I'm not afraid listening to In Real Life by Amanda Vernon from her new album Interior Gaze and that will take us to the end of the program. We're going to be giving away a copy of Amanda Vernon's Interior Gaze. All you have to do is go to our website saltandlighttv.org radio and look where it says stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. Enter your name and email address for a chance to win. And remember that you can stream or podcast all Salt on Light Hour programs at that same website, saltonlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted Catholic music and devotions. Christian music like never before, thanks to the generous support of artists like Amanda Vernon. Check out that website to learn how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile device, saltonlighttv.org slash radio. And if you're on Facebook... Look us up, facebook.com slash slradio1, that's the number one. Lots going on. You can also find me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and my Twitter handle is at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for your support, for your donations. We can't do what we do without your financial support, and thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. More than indifferent, more than pristine, I want you to see the real me. When we share Sometimes it bleeds, but I'd rather let it break than tuck it away. I'm gonna let you see it and I'm not afraid.